Good morning, everyone, and thank you very much, Ashley, for that beautiful prayer. Uh, we're so glad that you have joined us online today. I hope that you're feeling nice and warm and cozy on this cold January morning. So before I get into my sermon, I've just got a quick announcement about an event that our youth group is so excited to participate in together. And that is the 2022 Teen Challenge Atlantic Sleepout. Teen Challenge is a faith-based in-residence addictions treatment program with centers across Canada. Their Atlantic Men's Center in Memram Cook is hosting the Sleepout as a virtual watch party event from the evening of February 11th to the morning of the 12th. This will be a night of fun, fellowship, and important conversations about topics such as substance use, addictions, and recovery. Now, in spite of the name, Sleep Out, we're not actually going to be sleeping outside. Depending on what level of public health restrictions we're in, we're either going to be participating here at the church or online together as a youth group. Regardless, we're looking for people like you to sponsor our youth group and support the amazing work done at the Atlantic Men's Center. We've been asked to raise at least $250 to cover event costs, but we want to go above and beyond and raise at least $1,000. You can donate using the link on the screen, linktree slash cpyouth, or you can write Teen Challenge on your checks and drop them off to the church. Thank you so much in advance for your generosity. We look forward to taking part in this event together and supporting Teen Challenge. So, today we are in week three of our Starting Lines series. In week one, Pastor John started us off by sharing the story of the woman caught in adultery, where a group of religious leaders brought this woman before Jesus and said, the law says that she should be stoned, but what do you say? Trying to trap him in his words. Jesus not only showed their hypocrisy, but then he gave this woman a new, fresh start. And we were encouraged to think and pray about what it would look like for God to give us a fresh start today. Then last week, Pastor Ashley shared about a good and indeed necessary kind of lines for us to set. Personal boundaries. In our work, in our friendships, in our family relationships, in our time, in all areas of our lives. Boundaries protect what's important so that we can continue to thrive in the freedom and righteousness that God desires for us. Today, I will be talking about fault lines. I'll explain more about what I mean by that later on, but for now, let me ask you a question. How do you react when you come face to face with God's will for you? In particular, how do you react when you encounter challenges and setbacks as you follow the path that God is leading you on? Maybe you've heard about a certain opportunity and had an overwhelming sense 
that God wants you to take hold of it, but you don't feel prepared or qualified, or you're not sure how you'll ever come up with the time or resources for it. Or maybe you have taken hold of that opportunity, but you've run into a roadblock, and no matter what you try, it just won't seem to budge. I remember being on a missions trip in Haiti in my grade 12 year during March break. It was a team of mostly adult volunteers with a few other people in high school. I'm sure many of you have heard of Carl and Maya Gilles. They're a missionary couple who Crosspoint is proud to support, and we actually stayed with them on that trip. Now, the pastor who was leading our team had asked each one of us to prepare a short devotional, and each evening we would take turns sharing them with each other. So it's our first Saturday night there, and during a team meeting, Pastor Carl mentions offhand, by the way, you know, the congregation at the church we're going to tomorrow would love it if one of you could share your devotional and I'll translate for you before the actual sermon. Now, there have been a few times in my life where I've heard about a certain opportunity and God has kind of mentally elbowed me in the ribs and said, you need to pursue that. This was one of those times. But I started thinking, God, why me? I'm 17 and there are pastors here and people with master's degrees in theology. Why should I be the one to share my devotional? But as the meeting continued, the conviction to volunteer to share it just would not go away. And no one else was volunteering. I'm going to leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger there for now, but I will share the end of that story in a few minutes. Today, our main text is going to be from Matthew 17, verses 14 to 20, especially focusing on verse 20. Now, to give a bit of background to this passage, in Matthew 10, verse 1, it says that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And in verses 7 to 8, he told them, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, this same new starting line that they had freely received from Jesus, they were now to freely share with others, announcing and demonstrating that God's heavenly kingdom was being built on earth. And Luke 10.17 records that yes, indeed, they could and did drive out demons. But in Matthew 17 the disciples have hit a roadblock. A man has come to them explaining that his son is suffering not only physically, but has underlying spiritual oppression as well. Let's pick up the story in verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. 
Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Speaking of mountains, if you've ever tried climbing one, there may have been a point at which you forgot just how tall it was, and so you thought you were much closer to the peak than you actually were. And so you see what appears to be the summit, and you rush up there ready to shout, I'm on top of the world! And then you get there, and you've just reached a plateau. And you look and see how much further up the actual summit is and go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. The same thing is true in almost every large project or task or endeavor we'll ever undertake. I wasn't able to find the source of this quote, but it is so powerful and so true. Big vision takes longer than you expect costs more than you think, and will end up looking different than you imagined. As we pursue God's will for our lives, for all of us, there will come times when we are stopped right in our tracks, and we're not sure how we're ever going to move forward, or especially not end up where we need to be. Now, in some cases, these roadblocks will be caused by things outside of our control. But more often than not, at least part of the problem will be something inside of us. This could be a persisting pattern of sin. It could be a simple lack of confidence in a certain area. It could be a fear or anxiety or unhealthy thought pattern that keeps holding us back. Regardless, the result can be that even as we continue to climb the mountains of ministry and of growth in Christ, ironically, we can get more and more discouraged. We've gone far enough to have a better idea of just how much further we have to go. Now, recognizing our areas for growth isn't a bad thing in and of itself. The question is, what do we do about it? Unfortunately, so often we forget the fact that God's love for us is a free gift. Not only at the moment of our salvation, but throughout our lives. 
And so we assume that we need to achieve a certain spiritual status on our own, and then God will use us, and then God will grow us. I want you to imagine that this podium represents the person God created you to be and the life he created you to lead. In my case, this will represent the Kenzie that most clearly and powerfully reflects who God is to the world around me. And so as I look at what my life actually looks like, I see that there are some major breakthroughs that need to happen if I'm to even get close to here. Oh, you know, I find myself getting distracted during my prayers a lot. I really need to work on on focusing. And I've fallen quite far behind in reading scripture. I need to catch up there. And there's that area of pride or fear that keeps holding me back. And there's that person who I still haven't forgiven for what they said or did to me. And on and on the list goes. Now, are all of these things good and important to overcome? Yes, absolutely. The problem is when we assume that God is waiting for us to overcome them on our own power before he starts leading us in building his kingdom on earth. We think that we need to bring God a mustard tree rather than a mustard seed. And so we start trying to repair or cross our own fault lines, our lines of faults and shortcomings on our own, and get trapped behind them. We run up against the same barrier again and again until we're bruised and exhausted. Or we try every new trick in the book only to discover that our fault lines are far more adaptable to our strategies than we initially thought. What if our response when our human efforts fail was to depend on God all the more deeply? What if, rather than keeping us separated from God, our fault lines became a reason to run into his presence? A few minutes ago, you heard Pastor Ashley share based out of Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16. And we didn't plan on doing that That was a God thing, that we're both sharing those verses. But let's read verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then with 
approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. With confidence. With confidence. We are not only allowed, but instructed to confidently approach the throne of a holy God with all of our flaws and all of our failures. That is ludicrous. That is scandalous. That is radical. Yes, exactly. That is the power of the cross. God isn't waiting for you to get to a certain place in your holiness or your spirituality before he begins his good work in you and through you. He is only waiting for you to open yourself up to that work. The same grace by which God plants the seed is the grace by which he grows the tree. The same love, the same overwhelming, freely given, all-consuming, unconditional love by which God saves us from death and sin is the love by which he forms us and shapes us in our new life. So, let's go back to our original question for today. How do you react when you come face to face with God's will for you? Now, our response will depend on whether we're framing the situation through mustard tree faith or mustard seed faith. Whether we believe that God needs us to become holy or spiritual enough for him, or whether we believe that we need God to empower us by his Holy Spirit, and that is enough for us. Now, you might be wondering, okay, Kenzie, how does this difference actually look in real life? I am so glad you asked. Let me give you just three examples of how mustard tree faith can hold us back. I know that there's a stereotype of pastors giving three-point sermons, so if you're not a fan of them, send your emails to tim at crosspointchurch.ca. <laughs> But first of all, um, our mustard tree faith can lead to us getting trapped within our own comfort zone, or perhaps more accurately, our own preparedness zone, the realm of things that we feel comfortable and confident and qualified to do. We see this multiple times throughout Scripture. For example, when Moses was asked or called by God to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he said, no, 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 I'm not eloquent enough. They'll never listen to me. Or when Gideon was called by God to lead Israel's army to defeat the Midianites who were oppressing them, he said, essentially, I'm the least important man in all of Israel. Why should I be the one to do it? And this was the same sort of thought process that I was going through during that meeting in Haiti. So after about half an hour of the meeting, Pastor Carl mentioned again, the congregation would love it 
if one of you could share your devotional tomorrow and I'll translate for you. I very timidly raised my hand this time and they said, yes. Now, one detail I left out earlier was what my devotional was about. I had written it on the topic of suffering. Suffering in a Christ-like way or suffering for the sake of the gospel. Now, let's think about that for a second. What on earth is a 17-year-old middle-class white Canadian guy going to tell an average person living in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, about suffering? By all accounts, this devotional should have been a joke, and not a particularly funny one either. But it wasn't. Why? Well, because what Pastor Carl and the other team leaders understood was that it wasn't about my knowledge or experience. It was about the one who was speaking through me that created the power in that devotional. Now, this isn't to devalue things like education and experience. However, there are some times when God calls us beyond our human qualifications. And we have to say, I'm not prepared, but I know God is. So ready or not, here I come. Another way that mustard tree faith can hold us back is it can lead to us over-relying on strategy. Now, in our main text for today, we don't know how that initial interaction between the man whose son was suffering and the disciples went. But let me give just one suggestion. It may have been that after rebuking other demons a few times, they had started to develop a standard way of doing that. A standard set of phrases or emotions that they would use each time they were asked to rebuke a demon. Now, standard ways of doing things, routines, strategies, protocols, they can all be very good and helpful and valuable. If and when they flow out of the fountainhead of God's living water. If you cut them off from that, they dry out pretty quickly. And so let's not overlearn our strategies to the point where we depend on them rather than on God who gives them power. The final way I want to talk about that mustard tree faith can hold us back is when we encounter other mustard trees. If you spend enough time around church or around believers in general, you'll run into people who are very mature in certain areas of ministry or faith. And if we're not careful, we can end up assuming that because we're not there already, that we never will be. You know, that's just not me. I'm not cut out for that. Now, throughout this whole sermon, I've been preaching to myself, but especially here. When I 
encounter prayer warriors, people who pray beautifully and passionately, I can think to myself, well, that's good for them, but that's never going to be me. You know, I throw in a lot of ums and ahs and awkward silences when I pray and repeat the same phrases over and over. I am just not a prayer warrior. Do you believe that God can and does answer prayers? If so, then congratulations, you are a prayer warrior. That's that mustard seed that God will start you out with. Let me ask you one more question today. What if God turned whatever fault line you're stuck behind into a new starting line? Maybe you've been stuck behind a fault line for quite a while now, and you've given it 110%, and you've tried the top 50 tips and tricks to overcome it, but nothing's working. I want you to know that God isn't standing on the other side of that barrier with his arms crossed going, any day now, God wants to enter into your life right now where you are. That you may be cleansed from your sins, that you may be empowered by his Holy Spirit, that you may be formed, conformed, reformed, transformed into the image of his Son. Now, deeper dependence on God doesn't mean isolation from other people. So your deeper dependence on God might include something like going to see a professional counselor for your mental health. Or maybe messaging a friend and saying, hey, let's check in on each other every few days just to see how we're doing and to hold each other accountable to certain promises. Or it might look getting together a group of people to study God's word together and to encourage and challenge each other in following him. Yes, time alone with God is highly, highly valuable, but so is time in community together. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We're all different tissues or cells within that body that work together and support one another in following Christ. One final thought this morning. Now, as I'm sure many of you know, our main text for today isn't the only place where Jesus uses mustard seeds as an example in teaching. In Matthew 13, verses 31 to 32, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, you might say that the reason why Jesus uses the same kind of seed for both teachings is just because of its size. But perhaps there is a deeper connection there. A mustard seed of faith is where God starts with us, 
But if we allow him to tend to it, it is not where he ends with us. God's grace of planting the seed is also his grace of watering the seed, of fertilizing the seed, of supporting the stem as it starts to grow up, of sending sunlight on it, and yes, of pruning it. Until we, both as individuals and as a church, grow into a beautiful and mature tree that provides shelter and food for life around us to flourish. Thank you, everyone.